Chapter number six, if you guys will, we're going to come to a new section here. Uh, this morning in our study in the book of Romans, we have um, the last uh, couple weeks we've been, wow, you guys chatty today here, huh? Well, I'll wait. I can, you know, it could be here a while. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 6, we're coming now to the second section, and uh, again, got everything back up and running, hopefully on the internet, and the streaming anyway, so uh, we'll, uh, we're, we're glad to see that. We come now to section number 2, and this section covers chapters 6, 7, and 8, and uh, it's uh, uh, going to um, move us in the continual of the issue of the much more um, doctrine, uh, the much more. Th this is the next step. Back in chapter 5, as we were coming out of that section, we saw being justified by faith we have, and then we were introduced in verse 9, much more than, and we've been working on the issue of the much more, and now we come to chapter 6, and now as Paul has laid in some of the the concepts and the thoughts, now he's going to begin to, to lay in some of the details. And uh, the details here, uh, especially in chapter 6, 7, and 8, of the issue of our identity, our identification. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And as we begin to come out of the section this morning, we're just doing an overview here of, of really of 6, 7, and 8 and get some, get some thoughts about where we're headed, because as we do, as we have this much more, now we're going to begin to fill in some of the details. And so you have to remember the outline of the book. I guess it's good, good we're back on the internet, and on the camera anyway. So you have to remember the issue of the outline. In chapters 1 to 5, that issue there is the issue of our justification. And because of that, then we're going to come now to 6 through 8, and we're going to deal with our issue of our identification. Sometimes we use the, the, the call this the uh, sanctification, and that's fine. That's well, you'll hear it identified as the walk. But what we're going to look in 6, 7, and 8, what we're going to find out is we have an identity in Christ that is the basis for a sanctified walk, a holy walk, a walk well-pleasing to the Lord. You have to have, have, to have this understanding of who you are and identification-wise. That's why coming out of chapter 5, we did that natural relationship. We have this natural relationship with Adam. We're all sinners. But because we're in Christ, now we have this, this natural relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that, uh, that DNA shift where the old man, now we're going to working in a new man. And so you have that. Uh, 
chapters 9 through 11, there's some dispensational issues. And then chapters 12 through 16, we're going to have some uh, uh, application issues of the doctrine that we've learned in the first 11 chapters. And because of that, and I'm going to leave this up here, so as we go through this and as we move through the book, again, we learned here in the first five chapters that Christ, what did he do? He died for us. That's what he did. That's what we learn. Then in chapter 6 through 8, we're going to learn here that we died with him. That issue of identification. Then in chapters 12 through 6, we skip this because it's Israel and what's going on with them. But in 12 through 16, we're going to learn that we can die for him. Application, sorry. That, I started to write grace, but application of the doctrine. So we learn that Christ died for us. We're going to learn about we are dead with him. Now we're going to learn that we can die for him. Come over to chapter 12 and verse number 1. And you have to be, and here's the issue in, in chapter 12 and verse number 1. <clears throat> this is the issue of a sacrificial life. And that's what we're dealing with, and that's what we're going to be dealing with. Verse 1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How do I do that? 6, 7, and 8 is going to tell you how. Okay? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we talk about that renewing. What do I renew my mind with? 6, 7, and 8 is what you're going to renew your mind with. We'll see this as we go through and as we get into this, okay? So what begins to happen is we begin to need, we need to go back there to chapter 6. We need to remember, and as we move through 6, 7, and 8, we've just learned we died, he died for us. Now we're going to learn that we're dead with him. And then we're going to learn that we can die for him. We can actually literally go and be that living sacrifice that he needs and he would like us to be. Now, when you come into chapter 6, again, you have to remember the relationship that we just learned about in coming out of chapter 5, that, that natural headship, that natural relationship that we now have with Christ because now we're going to learn that we have a new type, in that new type of relationship with Christ, we now have a new identity. And all of the things that God the Father has given to the Lord, he has passed on to you and I. Just as everything that Adam gained, okay, and everything that Adam lost was passed on to his descendants, 512, for by one man all men have sinned, all are dead, now in Christ, okay, now in Christ, everything that he gave Christ, he's giving to you and I. 
That's why in verse 4 there, you walk in the newness of life. Well, what did he give Christ? When Christ died, Christ didn't stay dead. He resurrected. And so we're going to learn about our co-death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. And when he died, he died our death. When he was buried, he, he bore our burial. And there's a picture there of the putting away of sins. And then when he rose again, he then it becomes our resurrection. So as we move through this, literally, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Here's the baby. You're a babe in Christ. You're just getting started. And here now you, you, you become a, a teenager, a young adult. What happens as you come out of teenage and into young adult? What, do you, what, do you, what are most of our young people looking for? Who are they? What are their identity? Okay, that's why, you should, that's why in my opinion, voting, you shouldn't be able to vote until you're like 50. Because by 20, they, the, the doctors all say that that brain isn't done developing until about 24. Yeah. 30, okay, I, do I get a 40? Do I hear 40? Okay, never, <laughs> okay. So, and then over here, see, now you're in that adulthood, living, you know, now you're in your maturity, okay? So as you think about that, that's where, that's where we're at. Chapter 5, we learn that we're dead in Adam. Chapter 6, we're going to learn that we're dead with Christ. He's our identity. Some 30 times... In 6, 7, and 8, Paul refers to dead, death, die, crucify. He uses terms connected with death. Because there's going to, the question then, and the emphasis on the section here is going to be a good death that we die. You know, you, you, you hear people, oh, today's a good day to die. Well, this is a good death. Chapter 5, being in sin, is not a good death. This is going to be a good death. If you look at verse 6, 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. See, that crucified. If you're crucified, you're dead. They, they go around and make sure you died. They don't just let you hang out all day, you know. <laughs> they take you a week to die, but eventually what do you do? You die. And when you, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What does death do? It frees the believer from the tyranny and the dominion of that external tyrant called sin, it was said. What does death do? When, I mean, you, you go to funerals. The body's laying there. There's nobody in that body. What, what had happened? When they died, they were what? Freed from that sin-stained, cursed body. Again, Romans 5, kind of reach back up in there. All have sinned. So death, verse number 12 there, Wherefore is by one man sin enter the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's not good. That death is judgment. It's a condemnation. Now we're going to see a glorious death in 6, 7, and 8. What happens with that issue of death, again, over 30 times, he talks about it, 
is that we learn that the answer to sin in the believer's life is not our ability to stop it. It's not our ability to, to come along and to squash it. By the way, when you try and stop it, usually what happens? You fail. The answer to sin is going to be death. That's the answer. Sin hasn't died. That <laughs> the focus isn't sin being dead in 6, 7, and 8, really, but primarily in 6. Rather, by the way, sin's a very real thing in our lives, isn't it? Raises its ugly head up quite often sometimes. But what we're going to learn is in this new identity that we have in Christ, we, the believer, are dead to sin. Sin's not dead. Then that's not the issue. You want to stop sin in your life? You know how you stop it? You recognize that you're what? Dead to it. And, and that's why he's going to say, you know, hey, rec verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be de dead indeed unto what? Sin. You're you have to, that new identity now says, you know what, I am dead to that sin. So sin's not going to have any more dominion over me. Why? Because I'm under the grace principle, the law principle. What's the, the, the knowledge of the, uh, of, of the law is sin. The strength of the law, strength of sin is in that law. Because what does it do? It points out the problem. Grace comes in and says, Christ died for you. Now you are dead to him, with him. You're dead to the sin question. There's really no other answer to sin. There's really no other answer to deal with sin in our lives except to recognize that we are dead to it. And if you're dead to it, then what you doing? Keep doing it. That's why 6.1 says what it says. What does he say? What shall we say then? Notice the question. And by the way, Paul's going to ask questions he asks it here in verse 1. He'll ask a, another question in verse 15. What then? He's going to ask some questions in chapter 7. He's going to ask uh, um, some questions in chapter 8. But, and the questions are designed because Paul is anticipating an a, uh, objection to what he just taught us in chapter 5. What did he just teach us in chapter 5? Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. Well, I want more grace, so what am I going to do? Continue in sin. Then I, my sin gets bigger and grace gets bigger. So all you rightly divide grace people out there are just telling people they can go live any way they want to live. And, the, and, that, and what, what, by the way, what's the answer? Verse 2 of chapter 6, God forbid. That's not what you would do. And that's not what is being taught here at all. Verse uh, 6 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that's the objection. You guys are just saying, go live any way you want. And Paul is like, no, God forbid, we're not saying that at all. There's an understanding now that when you're in Christ, 
You've got a new identity now. By, by the way, when he says there, shall we continue in sin, is it possible to continue in sin? The answer is yes, because the implication in 6.1 is that you will continue in sin. That may, we have that, that issue in our makeup. When you got saved, God didn't call you home and give you a new body. He left you in this body because we've got work to do as his ambassadors. So the implication is, yes, you can. So this, and again, the only answer to it is this very special death that, we're, that we have here. Chapter 1, the penalty, uh, chapter 1 through 5, I'll write this up here. The penalty of sin is dealt with. Chapters 6 through 8, the power of sin is what is being addressed. Chapters 12 through 16, the presence of sin is what is now going to be addressed. And in this section, the focus is on the power of sin in the believer's life. And again, because when we're coming out of chapter 5 and we're learning about God's abounding grace, and it's, you know, that, that, that's the only answer to the offense of sin is God's grace. But that answer of God's abounding grace is also the answer to deal with the power of sin in our lives. It's God's grace. God gave, God's grace answers the penalty. It, think about a criminal in court. The judge comes out. The jury says you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. We just, chapter 1 to 5, that courtroom scene, you're guilty. But the judge says, I'm going to set aside the jury verdict, and I'm going to set you free. I'm going to forgive you. I'm gonna, you. We're going to take your debt penalty, and we're going to put it on someone else over here, Christ at Calvary, the propitiatorial act. You're free to go. And oh, by the way, no more charges will ever show up. Go. So then what would be the tendency of the criminal just said free to go do? Go do it again. Live, keep, keep doing what he was doing. Why? Because no more charges. Double jeopardy, they call it, is in, is in play. You're free to go. Well, what should the criminal do, the sinner do? Should say thank you. And now, let, now let's go not do that ever again. You've heard me say over the years that grace goes into a community and it purifies it. It doesn't change a culture. It purifies it. This is why. Because you begin to learn about this issue of your identity. Someone asked me years ago, you know, if a, if a homosexual got saved, you know, what, how would that happen? I said, well, they would get saved. That would be wonderful. Then they come to understand the doctrine. And you know what the doctrine will do? Clean up their life. I don't have to. I don't have to preach and rail against. I just have to... Here's the doctrine. Let the doctrine do the work. See, that's the issue. That's what we're doing here. Again, we're not saying, nor will, nor is Paul or us ever saying that it's okay to continue in sin. 
but rather we are to learn that the grace of God, what the grace of God has accomplished is that it's also going to now deal with that power of sin in our lives. The grace of God, the much more, is going to come along now in 6, 7, and 8. We'll see it here as that ability to, to equip the believer to have the capacity to deal with the sin when it pops up. Okay? Because it does. We have the compulsion to keep doing it because we, we live in this stricken body, in this cursed creation. So rather than start beating yourself over, you know, I, I was watching something, uh, and I knew they did this, but I never understood the, the severity of it, the flogging and the, that they do in the Roman Catholics and some of the, the, okay, and how brutal it got, you know. That's, he, Paul's not saying go do that to yourself. Because, again, like I said last week, you have to preach the gospel to yourself quite a bit. Because Christ did what? He died for you. And you're his. And you have this identity. Rather, when you sin, you, you know, you, what do you do? You stop. Say, hang on a minute. How did I get here? How did I get to this point? Well, it was A, B, and C. Well, A is okay, and B, eh, and C is a no. <laughs> so let's stay in A. So next time, what do you do? Next time I come over here, we're going to look at some verses here in a minute. And you know what I do? I'm in A, a everything's good, and I can see B coming on the horizon. <laughs> and I go, no, I'm, I'm going to do B+. Plus. <laughs> and I'm going to go this way. And we'll just let that drift. But you, you don't, tribulation worketh what? Patience and patience what? Experience. And one of the tribulations when we get into chapter 8 we'll be looking at is that issue of, of the impact of when you commit sin on your life. If you look at 8.1, chapter 8, I'll get ahead of myself, but you look at chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk after the Spirit, what's going to happen in your life? No what? No condemnation. But if you're going to walk in the flesh, what's going to happen in the flesh? You're going to condemnation. You're going to reap what you sow. Now, 8.1 has nothing to do with your eternal security. That was chapter 5. 8.1 has to do with your walk. It says it in the verse, who walk not after. We're talking about life. If you make decisions in life that, bring in, that cause sin, what's going to happen in your life? Trouble is going to come your way. So you go through it. I don't know about you. Shame on me. One time, shame on me. Two times, shame on you. Three times ain't going to happen <laughs> again. You know, you learn from that and you move in it. So in six, in, as, we, as we come into here, into this section, what chapter 6, 7, and 8 is going to teach us is that religion is all wrong. Religion builds an external system of performance to motivate the believer not to sin. 6, 7, and 8 is going to teach us that there is no external system of motivation to the believer. Rather, it's an internal transformation. It's an internal motivation that comes from Calvary that 
demonstrates ultimately that we have the capacity, the ability, the equipping to not sin. And that's, you know, people, oh, you can tell people they can't sin. No, we have the ability to do that. We have the capacity to do that. And that comes from the abundance of grace, the much more the abounding of grace that causes a change in the realm of the inner man. If you come over to Philippians, I love this verse. I, this verse to me, Philippians chapter 2, is a verse that's just stuck in here. We, people tend to read over it because they're, they're looking for you know, something else to happen. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh, where? In you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's an internal mechanism. It's an internal change. So as we come through this section, in chapter 6, we're going to find out that we are dead to sin, if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> okay, I, Some 30 times, and, and, and there's probably more. I just didn't count them. I, I went through quickly, looking, and I was like, you know, and by the way, when you get to like 12, you go, is it 12 or 13? All right, we're going to go with 12. So da, 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 da. was it 22 or 23? <laughs> you know, you kind of get mental that way sometimes. But what happens is, is we're going to learn that we are dead to sin. And in each of these categories, there's going to be three things that are going to happen. One, there's going to be a declaration. And that's in verse 1 and 2. Guess what we are? We are dead to sin. Then there's going to be a description of what that entails. And, that's going to, and how that comes about. And that's going to be in verse 3 to 10 in chapter 6. Then there's going to come an application of it. Of, a, of applying it to, to, to your life now. And that's going to be in verses 11 to 23. So you've got the declaration of what's happening, verse 1 and 2. And then you have the description, verse 3 to 10. And then you have the application in verse 11 to 23. Then you come into chapter 7 and you learn that we are dead to the law. That the law no longer has, is an instrument of motivation in your life. So we have the declaration, the first four, verses 1 to 4, chapter 7, verse 1 to 4. Then we have the description, verse 5 to 12. How does this work out? How, how, why and what happened in the details? Then we have the application, verse 13 to 25. So we're going to be dead to the law, the declaration, one to four, verse 1 to 4. The description, verse 5 to 12. The application, verse 13 to 25. Okay, am I going too fast? Some of you guys are writing. All right. So when, that, when you have that, then you come to chapter 8. In chapter 8, you, you're going to have two things happening in chapter 8. One, we're going to learn that we are dead to the flesh. Okay. The declaration of that is in the first four verses. We're dead to the flesh. Then the description of it, how it's all going to work out, is in verse 5 to 8. And then the application of it is going to be in verse 9 to 13, what it's going to look like in life. So we're dead to the flesh. Declaration, verse 1 to 4. Description, verse 5 to 8. Application, verse 9 to 13. Then, in verse 14 
to the rest of the chapter, we find out that we are the sons of God. So in chapter 8, we're dead to the flesh, and we are what? Alive unto God. We are the sons of God. So there the declaration is in verse 14. Then the description comes in in verse 15 to 17. How it is, and by the way, how is it? We have the spirit of adoption. We can cry, Abba, Father. We're, we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We have this what? This identity, identification. Then the application of it is verse 18 to 39. Okay? So you have the sons of God were declared that, verse 14. The description, verse 15 to 17. And then the application, verse 18 to 39. All right? Did you get that? Do I need to repeat any of that for you? You guys here in the room? <laughs> okay. That's a, I, I found this outline from Brother Alex Kurz when he taught through Romans. I liked it, so I stole it. I mean, I, I borrowed it. Okay? Well, you, you know what they say? If you copy from one, it's plagiarism. But when you copy from many, it's called research. So I copied from many. But I like the way he broke that out because guess what's going to happen? That's how this is going to flow. And, and that's where we're going to be. So as we think about this section, that's uh, kind of the flow of how we're going to do it, if you will. Okay. So rather than just saying chapter 6, dead to sin, chapter 7, dead to the law, chapter 8, alive unto God, we, a little bit more detail in that. All right, Romans 6. Look again at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Where was Christ crucified? If we're crucified with him, where was he crucified? At Calvary. So there's a supernatural work that's going to take place at Calvary to where you and I are identified with the death of Christ. And that's what's going to happen here as we move through because we're going to begin to be introduced to a new concept. Come down to verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 19. There is, again, Paul is introducing to us as we're growing, as we're moving out of the infant stage and into the teen, early adult stage, and as we're moving over into our maturity and growth, and by the way, when you become uh, a, 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 when you graduate college and you get up in there, you never quit learning. You're always learning, okay? And th- that's the, the, the thing here. But you, we're going to be introduced now to a new term and a new concept as we go forward. Look, if you will, at verse 19, 619. And we're just going to spend the rest of the time here looking at this briefly. And then next week, we'll get into the chapter, verse 1, and get going, okay? Uh, Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. It's very fascinating how Paul keeps this on a real keel. He doesn't bloat it up and say, hey, you're going to be something wonderful, and you're never going to mess up. Again, in this section of application, he says, you have an infirmity in the flesh. By the way, what is that infirmity, sin? What's the answer to it? Death. Being dead, you being dead to it. It's going to run rampant. You think about a lost person. When are they ever freed from sin? When they die. Because what does death do? It frees them of the containment and the, and the impact of sin. 
Verse 19, keep reading. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity. That's who you were. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto, and there's our new term, holiness. And holiness is going to be introduced to us here. In chapters 1 to 5, in the courtroom, you, what did we violate in chapter 1 to 5 as a sinner? His holiness. Remember, we went back and we looked in Isaiah, and, and, and we go into the throne room, and those, those cherubs are sitting there, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. He's a holy God. He can't look on sin. He can't have iniquity before him. He, he cannot. It violates his righteousness. It violates his holiness. Now, because we are in Christ and we have an identification that is Him and His DNA, now we have the capacity to produce, verse 19, and to be the servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now that takes an abundance of grace that takes an understand, an abounding grace. We're not talking about just living life continuing in sin. We're talking about well, verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That fruit unto holiness. In chapters 1 to 5, we are not holy. <laughs> Chapter 6, what are we? We're without strength. We're ungodly. Verse 8, we're sinners. Verse 10, we're enemies. Ephesians 2 over there, we went over there. We're children of disobedience. We're children of wrath. That's who we were. But yet now, what have we been? Verse 22, how were we made free from sin? Being where? In Adam or in Christ? In Christ now. We have this identification. So this issue here of holiness now. Back there in verse 19, you're servants to righteousness. You were, you were servants to sin and iniquity unto iniquity and uncleanliness. Now you're a servant of what? Righteousness unto holiness. Now you have you can be servants to God and have your fruit to holiness. Now you have become an instrument that God can use as an instrument of holiness where you're at, where you live in your life. Think about this. God in his superabounding, overabundant grace. Nothing we did, by the way, or we can do. He did it all at Calvary. That's the point. It has nothing to do what we can accomplish. It has nothing to do with any of that. Rather, he has equipped us now with a life of holiness. A life that we can go now live and manifest out his life through our life and in our life. 
And that's what 6, 7, and 8 is going to just put on the scene. It's just going to, ba-boom, here it is. This issue of holiness. Uh, come over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 10. First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's Popeye the sailor man, right? And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet what? Not I. But... The grace of God which was with me. That's coming, that's coming from an understanding of what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is going to lay out for us. This issue of holiness. There's now going to be information that God's going to provide about this. That's, that's why, by the way, when you come back there to Romans 6, verse 3, he says, Know ye not. Why he'll go down in, in verse 6, knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that Christ. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye. And verse 16, know ye not. Ver, uh, he, he's just going to go through all of this doctrine. He's going to give us critical doctrine that tells us about what he did at Calvary. What did he do? That supernatural act of saying, you know what? Mike, I died for you. But in that death, I'm equipping you to be dead with me. I'm equipping you to be an instrument of holiness where you live. It's not I. It's the grace of God that's been bestowed upon me. It's what's living and doing and motivating. So that's why I said the law says do it or else. Don't do it or else. External motivation. Grace comes along and says, no, here's an internal change that's happened to you. You need to know this information. And when you know this information, then what happens now is in your life to where you go and where you... Think about how Paul lived. I, I, I don't know if you ever pay attention to how he lived. For 2 Corinthians 11, that whole section there about him getting beat and shipwrecked, that's how he lived. He, 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 he hung his hat down at Motel 6, not Hyatt. Okay? Now, he should have been at Hyatt, and he gets on the Corinthians for that. But he's down at Motel 6, if you will. Why? Because that's where he's at. You, you read in Acts over there in his ministry activity, he goes in and, and he works with Apollo, uh, Priscilla and Aquila at the tent shop, then he's on his way home, gets the guy's food from the grocery store, so took the day's wage, got food, goes home, eats dinner, and then he goes out to the school of Tyrannus and goes to, to Bible study so long into the night that the dude fell out of the third loft, dead asleep, died, goes over. That's activity. He didn't just sit at home. Now, could he sat at home and cried in his beer, as they say? Sure he could have. But what did he know? See? He knew some doctrine that says, no, 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 no. Your life now belongs to Christ, if you will. But your life now is going to be an instrument unto holiness. But you need, 
I, if I just looked at everybody this morning and says, you're all are holy, have a good day. Or I, some of you would have said, well, finally he recognized it. <laughs> Thank you. Th- you're welcome. Okay? I was waiting for it. But see, the thing is, is some of you would have said, okay, what does that mean? That's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is going to do for us. We're going to have the critical doctrine here. We're going to understand that the reason we're dead is because God is going to use us as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. That's why, that's why we are dead to sin. That's why he talks this way, uses this language. That's why he's going to have, give us the capacity to not sin. And our capacity, we have, by the way, we get our capacity to sin from who? Adam. But now we get our capacity to not sin because of who? Christ. And that's what we're learning. Come over with me to uh, 1 Timothy 4. When you think about the issue of holiness, uh, by the way, we're going to learn in this that God has designed for us to be the expressed image of his holiness here on this little planet we call Earth. And we're going to learn about being in, that, in the image of Christ. He, he tells us in Romans 8 to be conformed to the image of Christ. And there's some things that are going to happen there because it has to all do with that capacity to produce the fruit unto holiness. If you think about holiness, usually religion does something. 1 Timothy 4 Paul describes it here, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath given to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So what does religion say? Holiness. If you're going to be holy, you're going to wear a certain style of clothes. You're going to eat a certain diet. You're going to abstain from getting married. You're going to do all of this. That's usually what we get the idea for holiness. Come back to Romans 12. When you think about holiness in, from the religious, our religious baggage, if you will, you, know, you go over there and you get the little tote that says holiness on it from religion, you know, local, you know, church so-and-so. And you pop it open, and the next thing you know, you've got a whole list of what you think. And none of that is what, is what Scripture talks about. Look at Romans 12.1. Think about this. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the next word? Holy. Now, can you be holy? The answer is yes. See, you can be holy. But you have to understand, in the sight of God, you can be holy. So we're to to be that instrument of holiness. No longer enemy, no longer sinner. We're to come along now and to demonstrate his holiness. Again, we're not free to sin. 6-1 is clear. And 2. 
but you're liberated to be holy. To come along and to be that instrument of holiness, that fruit unto holiness, that instrument of righteousness unto holiness, however you need it to be said, okay? And that's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn, according to 2 Corinthians 7, we're going to learn a great, we're going to, what a glorious privilege it is that we have to be that instrument of holiness. It's not a dreadful thing. Oh, my goodness, here we go again. Something more I got to do. No. It's a, hey, I wake up in the morning, I want to be. You know, Lord, help me be the instrument of holiness today to put on display his character. How would Christ act in this moment? You know, the old saying, they, they kick God out of the schools except on test day. You know, dear Lord, help me pass this test. <laughs> you know, how do I do that every day? How do I be his instrument? Now, we're going to get that information again as we're coming through this second section. But look at 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. And watch Paul pick up on what the Corinthians should have learned in Romans 6, 7, and 8 doctrine. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, what? Perfecting holiness and the fear of God. What a verse. That's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not the Old Testament prophets. That's the Apostle Paul saying what? Clean it up. You guys at Corinthians, at Corinth down there, have missed the boat. You guys are still over here in baby land. This is 2 Corinthians. This is the third of the four books. Well, he probably writes four. But this is not the first time he's written to them. It's at least the second time, maybe the third time. And again, there's indications by some that he wrote more, but whatever. Here it is. Well, notice what he says. He says, you guys, we need to be about perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not doing it religion's way, but holiness has to do with what's going on in the inner man and in your lifestyle in the moment. Now when he says here, cleaning ourselves from all, un, all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and, go, and then in verse, then at the end he says, in the fear of God. Not, by the way, notice it's not, it doesn't say fearing God. We're not afraid of God. Why? 5-1, what do we have with God? Peace. See? But rather, it's, we know something about the holiness of God that we're going to go now and put into our life. And God is, he's going to come along now, and because of how God's going to interact with filthiness of the flesh and spirit, we too now ought to operate the same way. Did, did that make any sense? See, God is unable to tolerate or have fellowship with uncleanliness of the flesh. So guess what? We should too. There's the holiness. 
Okay? Now, how you see that is in the context. Go back up to verse 14 of chapter 6. Because here's the context of verse 7. You see, folks, we have a tremendous opportunity as we grow to hold ourselves accountable to the Father and how we live our life and our lifestyle. We have to allow His Word to motivate our heart, our mind, our thinking when it comes to this issue of perfecting holiness. 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not marriage. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7 deals with marriage. How do you know it? Well, keep reading. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? By the way, the unequally yoked with unbelievers is not business practices. Don't go into business with an unbeliever. Then who are you going to go in business with? Now I'm out here looking for the gas station that's a believer owned and run. Because I can't go to Costco to get my gas, even though they're the cheapest in town, the best in town, or whatever. Because an unsaved guy runs it. That's just, that's religion. See. Now I'm looking for a Circle K or a grocery store so I can go buy my stuff because that's run by a believer. So don't go over there to that one because, you know, the Muslims are running those. And... The Jews are running those. and So not, yeah, come on. What fellowship with righteousness hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Oh, there we go. We know what we're talking about? We're talking about re the religions of the world. The unfilthiness of the flesh. That's what we're talking about. And, or what part hath a believer with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. What's the unclean thing? The Baal worship, the idols. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. Did I not say that? Oh, okay, verse 19, that's where we're at, sorry. In the context of 7-1. Look, if you want to perfect holiness, what's your life going to look like now? Well, you're not going to go dabble in the other religions of the world out there and coexist. I love that, coexist. If you study the religions of the world, they don't like coexistence. <laughs> they like domination. You know, just, anyway, I won't get on that box. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Notice, look, folks, all of that in this list has to do with our relationship with God. It has to do with if we're going to enjoy, if we're going to perfect holiness. We have to have the same mindset about some of this stuff in our life that God has. And cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. In the context, it has to do with partaking in the religious system of the world. By the way, it doesn't say anything in here about quit smoking or drinking or any of that. He's talking about what's going to control your mind. 
Who's going to control your mind? By the way, look at verse 18. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What a loving fellowship we're to have with the Father. He says, listen, we, if you want to have a loving fellowship with the Father, then you need to have your thinking, your understanding be this way. If we're living in sin, how can we expect God to come and participate in all that? He's a holy God. He's not going to. Yet, who, where it, he resides in you. The Godhead lives in you. <laughs> Ephesians 4. You've got the Godhead, and yet off you go doing. And God says, well, I've got to go with the turkey, but maybe one day he'll wake up. <laughs> if we're, verse 1, so the fear of God has to do with the understanding that he would have nothing to do with the list in chapter 6, 14 down. By the way, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Paul's quoting Isaiah 52. But Daniel 1, Daniel chapter number 1, the issue of separation in Scripture is established by Daniel in Daniel 1. When he sits there in Nebuchadnezzar's table, him and his three buddies, and they want to fatten him up, and he says, no, take away, we're not to eat of that. You feed us our diet, and let's see who's looking better at the end of the, of the 30 days. And you know what he did? He says, we're not going to eat meat offered to idols. That's the king's meat. We're going to come and eat our porridge and our, our pottage and what we're supposed to do. And you know what happens? Daniel's looking way better. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are looking way better than the, king, the other guys. Come over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. You see, folks, we're in this foundational book here, laying these components in, and Paul's going to build on them. Most Christian, most grace believers never get out of 1 to 5. You know where they jump? They jump to chapter 12. And they have no clue how to do anything in 12 to 16. So you know where they go back to? How they were brought up. What system of teaching they had. Rather than come over, die to themselves, and get into 6, 7, and 8. See? So that you can learn. By the way, that's what has happened to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, I, can, I know nothing of you except Christ crucified. You know where they jumped? Over to here. And Paul's like, no, you dummies, you got to get into here. you got to get this down first. Ephesians 4. Now, in Ephesians, we're way down the road. We're over in that maturity land, aren't we? <laughs> look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 24. In that you put on the new man, which, is after, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. How did that happen? Better yet, where did it happen? At Calvary. How do I know it? I've got some doctrine in me that says this is how you know this. Okay? So this section 2 is critical in our understanding. Come over to Titus chapter 2. 
Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Know ye not? Know this? No. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, ye should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I love the language of grace. We should live. The grace is never threatening. It's never humiliating. It's always, I beseech you. It's always tender. It's always uh, gentle, long-suffering. We should live a certain way. See that? The grace of God is going to do what? It's going to teach us the lifestyle we should be living. Now look down at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and what? Purify. How does he purify us? Purify unto himself. Well, he purified us where? At Calvary. Okay? But he did it so that we, he would, could redeem or purify unto himself a peculiar people. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just die to save us from the penalty of sin. He died to rescue us from the power of sin. He died not just to purify us and redeem us, but then he also died for us to be a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. <coughs> Boy, that kicks a lot of guys in the teeth. There's activity, Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship created unto Christ. Unto good works. There's stuff to do. Peculiar. When you're peculiar... You are a, you belong to Christ, you belong to someone, but also in peculiar, you possess a trait, a quality, a characteristic that is unusual to the environment that you're in, that doesn't belong, that doesn't fit. You know what God says? <clears throat> You're peculiar in that we can produce something that you can't find in, in earth, in the earth. What can we produce? Holiness. That has everything to do with the capacity that we have now in Christ, in our identity, to live Holy. So when you come back to chapter 6, 7, and 8, on your way, stop in chapter 12, verse 1, just real quick, because time is, well, you guys were chatty Cathy's in the beginning, so. Chapter 12, Romans 12, verse 1 again. You see, folks, when God says you're peculiar, you know what he says? He says, 
you have the opportunity to do something that, that nobody in the earth has ever seen, and that's live holy, to have a holy lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you don't go and enjoy things, but you know what it means? That you're who you are, living in those moments as who you are in Christ. Now, real quick, watch 12, 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. All of that you learn from chapter 6, 7, and 8 on how to do it. Then he says, but be not conformed to this world. Well, if I'm doing what I'm, who I, if I'm living as who I am in Christ, holy, then guess what I won't be? Conformed to this world. But be ye transformed. That's why this is a radical thinking. By the renewing of your mind. So when we want to renew our minds, in Romans 12, where do we go? Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because you literally, when we end chapter 8, I'll do this with you. When you end chapter 8, you can skip 9, 10, and 11 and go right to 12, and they're bookends, and they match up. So 6, 7, and 8 is going to provide the information that's going to enable us to have a wonderful understanding, a wonderful capacity, ability to go out now and apply grace, the doctrines, into the details of our life. If you don't know who you are, you will think you are Israel. Okay? So we'll start chapter 6 next time, kind of big overview. But Paul is introducing the issue of holiness. Fruit unto holiness now. And it does it because you know what you are? You're dead with Christ. You have a new identity. And we need to know those details, okay? So this is lesson 55. So it took 55 lessons to go through the first five chapters. So guess how many's coming to you now? <laughs> Just a lot. No, we're not going to hurry, but we're not going to take our time either because I want you to get this information because, again, most grace believers, get down specific, never get into 6, 7, and 8. And what they do then is they reach into 8 and pull out their favorite verses, you know, everything's good to him that love God, okay? And they go over and they pull in this one and they go to that one and they never consider the totality of it that all that sits with you understanding that because you are in Christ, you have the capacity, the equipping, to go and live life, live a holy life. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have in your Son. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.